Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 399, and our guest today is Kurt. He actually first joined us back in episode number 257, and Kurt, as a listener of the show, shared with us in that previous episode a challenge that he gave himself and a challenge that he wanted to give to listeners. And I don't want to spoil the whole story, but do want to say it's an awesome challenge, still relevant today, and it is something that I would have you consider going back to revisit and listen to if you haven't already. So again, I'll leave a link in the show description for that previous episode, number 257. But today we're talking with Kurt about a very unique hunt that he had this past fall in Alaska to hunt buffalo on an island in Alaska, solo pretty wild story, pretty unique opportunity. What I love about it is that it really encapsulates a lot of the things we talk about regularly in terms of just challenge and facing difficulty, dealing with setbacks, uh, and then just practical kind of tips and logistics on travel for hunts. There's just so much wrapped up in to the story itself uh, that you will be both entertained by and be able to learn from. As always, we thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, it would help us tremendously if you're able to leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using, or just share this show with a friend who may benefit from it as well. That's how we grow because we don't do any advertising or anything like that. So truly your support is what makes all this possible and thank you very much. Also, if you have any questions for us at any time, you can always reach out to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Just send us an email there or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message and you can leave us an audio message with a question or topic suggestion that you have and we will cover that in a future episode. Right now, let's go ahead and dive into this great story with Kurt. Kurt, welcome to the podcast. I am excited to chat with you, man. Uh, same here, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, you had posted a review on our website about some of your EXO products. And when reviews get posted, I get an email. And so I read that email and you kind of mentioned this hunt in your, your product review. And I was like, oh man, I got to hear more about this hunt. So um, we'll get to that. And that's kind of what spurred today's conversation. But before we do dive into that, what is some kind of like introduction and background just to let listeners know a little bit about you, where you're from and that type of thing. Okay. So my name is Kurt Boyle. I'm from Bellevue, Washington. I'm retired from law enforcement. I'm 58 now, but was 57 during the hunt and, uh, retired after 32 years in law enforcement and was in the military for eight years. Um, grandfather live in Washington and uh, just got back into hunting about nine years ago after about a 30-year sabbatical from hunting. Um, so my girls like to fish, but they weren't really into hunting. We camped, did a lot of things like that. Um, and work, I was so involved with the jobs and positions I had in work that I was really focused on that. But then a younger friend of mine, asked if I wanted to go bow hunting, never been bow hunting and went out and started doing that. So I got back in hunting about nine years ago and pretty much have, uh, dove in head first and haven't looked back. Um, 
so yeah, I try to do as many different types of adventure hunts. Most of my hunts seem to be solo. Um, cause a lot of guys my age don't like to go packing in the back country or hiking or staying in tents. And most of the younger guys have kids and they're, they have a lot more restrictions on when they can get out. So I usually end up going by myself. Yeah. Before we dive into this hunt, what do you, what do you want to tell us about it? Like how did this hunt become on your radar? Cause it's a, you know, a very unique hunt, unique opportunity. Um, so I'm just curious to hear from you on, yeah, how it landed on your radar and then kind of came together. So when I retired, a, a friend of mine convinced me to go work on a, a remote Aleutian Island about 550 miles out from Anchorage. So it's basically between Anchorage and uh, Adak Island, um, which is the farthest one out. So it's a small island. It's only about eight by 10 feet, uh, eight by 10 miles <laughs> wide. <laughs> yeah, One and, foot's wet and one foot's not yes, eight by 10 yeah, feet. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the, but that's as the crow flies. But when you're on the island to get around it, to go a mile, you may have to go two and a half, three miles to go that mile, which the crow would fly. So, mm -hmm. cause of the way the terrain is. Um, so I got, I was working up there in a, as a small village police officer, um, just helping out the community. And then, um, did that for about six months and then went over and started working for the tribe running the uh, Kagantagungan tribe as their ex executive and did that for about eight months but during the time when i went up there i realized there were buffalo hunts up on the island and these are wild buffalo they roam the islands uh, about 250 of them uh, on this island they were planted over 100 years ago um but the corporation up there because you either have tribes or corporations manages this herd and they just flew in some wyoming buffalo to change the gene pool and let them roam um but anyway so i had an opportunity to go and last year i went to help i went to go try hunt buffalo but we couldn't get out there and and do it because of the weather conditions and my work and everything else but i did go help um bring three buffalo back that had been left there because the guys had to be flown out by helicopter because of what they went in the boat sank they went into the water it, it got real it's it seems like a small island but it's brutal it's a brutal island and um so they had to be airlifted out by the coast guard we did a rescue mission for the meat the next three days later to try to get the meat off and i sent a picture with my exo pack with a giant hind quarter or no front quarter sticking out of the backpack <laughs> frozen hind quarter um but anyway so i decided that i was going to try to do one this year and um so that's how i got into wanting to hunt the buffalo there's no bears on the island there's no predators so it makes it really nice you can just focus on hunting the buffalo um so most people, when they hunt the buffalo, they either go by boat or they go by ATV, but the weather conditions have to be perfect to go either or. No one hikes back in there to go hunt the buffalo. Um, and usually they go in groups to hunt them. So they have a whole bunch of people to help the to get the animals out. Um, but so I decided I was going to help some people. I bought $170. I, you know, I got a tag um, through some friends and then I was going to help try to hunt some another person's buffalo so there was i had opportunity to go hunt a buffalo so i went i 
made a plan to go back up in January because the season goes from November 1st till February 28th. And they only give out 60 tags each year, but the, the tribal members and the residents get them and then they'll sell some tags if there's leftover tags to people off the island. And there's, there's $3,000 for a tag for people off the island. So it's a limited opportunity, but there is an opportunity if you have, if you know people on the island or if you have connections to go hunt the buffalo. Hmm. And um, so it, it gave me an opportunity to go try that. And it's a once in a lifetime hunt if no one ever gets to hunt a buffalo and hunt a, a, a free ranging wild buffalo. A lot of times people hunt them in ranches and stuff like that. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. So I just prepared for it all year. How do you prepare for that? I mean, it's so wild to me. You talk about like your, your, you know, one of your first exposures to this hunt conceptually is a rescue mission, right? And then, you know, all these challenges and you realizing what it takes and helicopter rescue and yet, and you're like, yep, I'm going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, I had a lot of people don't hike the island. So during the summer and everything else, I was hiking the island. I was taking ATVs back. I was exploring that island and learning it like the back of my hand, figuring everything out I could about the island during the better weather. There's never any great weather there, but during the better weather where you could actually get back to the island because it's volcanic. So when it rains, it rains. But when the rain stops, the water goes away. It's it's really interesting. It just absorbs, sucks right into the ground, and you can get around. And it's it's pretty interesting. But it does get super muddy. The muskeg, the it just gets slimy and nasty, and and the muskeg will just tear you up. And the alders, uh, is like going into a giant spider web. They're so thick. And you've hunted Kodiak, so you, you know about those alders and how how thick they are. Yeah. So, um, I just prepared all summer and, and, uh, through the fall and just hiked and worked out and, uh, around here where I live, I have just down the end of my block, I have places where I can do elevation gains of three to 400 feet just through the trail and they're super steep. So I can just put heavy packs on and go up and down and do a lot of other stuff like that. So I just started, I always like working out. I always try to stay in shape. I love hiking. And so I just, um, just increased its intensity and started maxing out the load. Um, I was working with a friend on the island and he was getting an ATV set up for me. Um, We were lining up maybe a boat to get around to the other side of the island, be dropped off. I was, I brought gear up there, tents, you know, I'll be able to stay in the back country if I needed to. Um, So I was planning all the logistics to, uh, to be able to stay out there or get out there uh, prior. So I had that all lined up when I went up there. Um, so I knew I wasn't just going up there with a backpack and have to walk in. Uh, the problem was, is that the weather just did not cooperate. So the hunt actually, it, it ha- ended up taking me two times to go up there to get um, my bison. Um, so the first time I was up there for, uh, seven days, uh, of actual hunting. 
And then the second time uh, I was up there, I think it's what I say, like nine days of actual hunting before I shot the, the bison. But I had to go up twice to, to get up there to, to hunt the bison. What was it? So I think you mentioned the season, you know, roughly November through February, and you didn't make the first trip until mid-January. Was there, is it just logistics? Was there a specific hunt reason that you didn't go in any of the earlier portion of the open season? Well, one reason is I wanted to make sure all my logistics were good to go. Uh, Two, I wanted to make sure, I was hoping that the weather would be super cold. And everything would be frozen, which makes you can easier to ride the ATVs. If it's mm-hmm. if it's sitting around that thirty degree mark or twenties, and then warming up a little bit, yeah, freezing thaw. And with the and that's when the snow really moves in. If it's super super cold, it freezes. All the snow freezes, and you can ride on the top. But if it just starts pouring down, uh, dumping snow, and it's never frozen it's almost impossible to get a quad through. Um, so an ATV through the, the snow. Um, yeah. So the first, so yeah, so I, two, I did two different hunts. So January 18th through the 26th and then uh, February 15th through the 28th. And it was a second hunt that I was able to get the, the bison. But um, uh, so, yeah, so I made sure I had enough people or had all my logistics set up and I shipped some stuff up there prior to going my, my fuel tanks for my jet boil, um, some extra t- uh, tarps and gear like that ropes, things I would need because it's hard to find on the Island and to get jet boil fuel out there is super hard because there's no permanent addresses. And mm. I just wanted to make, so I used the uh, shipping company here called coastal freight. And it's a, a ships that come out of Seattle and they go straight to Sand Point and you just throw a little tote on there and it doesn't cost anything and they drop it off on the island for you. So I ship stuff up there. So I had it up there before I even got there. So the island, any residency on the island is just tribal, essentially? Uh, no, it's 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 kind of it's a pretty um, intense little fishing port, but okay. the average population is seven hundred people. Um, so you have most people have some type of tribal heritage in them. Uh, there's a thing, I think it was 1972, the Alaska uh, Native Lands Act or something, it, where if you could be, it's it's really, I don't even go down that rabbit hole, but a lot of, it was kind of a mixture of tribal and just people that are fishermen that are, live on this island. But when it's not season, there's nobody around. Unfortunately, it was season, but it was crab, tanner crab season and cod season. So there weren't many people in port. There weren't many boats around. But I did have one person that offered to get me around the island if he could get his boat out and get it around the island. Hmm. So, but there weren't many people on the island at that time. So the average population is about 700 to 1,000 people. During the salmon season, it jumps up to maybe 2000 people and there's a uh there's a trident seafood uh processing plant on there but those people stay on the processing plant they're not considered residents got it so you mentioned you spent time up there in the summer 
exploring the island, I'm sure locating some some buffalo. What did you expect or come to learn about the differences between then, like that season, whether this is animal location or just terrain, vegetation, what have you, versus being there then in January? Like how how helpful was that summer scouting, for lack of a better term? I th- it was actually really good because I could see the pattern and the I could follow their pattern and it's it's not really a migrational pattern. It's a weather pattern, how they move. So you get hit by the Bering Sea and you get hit by the Pacific Ocean from weather. Because we're farther we're just at the end of the peninsula, the Alaska Peninsula. So the weather can come over the mountains and hit you from the Bering Sea, or it can come from the south and hit you from the, the Pacific Ocean. So depending on which way the leeward side is, it seems, that's where the buffalo are going to be moving to. Depending on the amount of snow and how much it's drifting, that's where. So in the summer, I went around and looked at the big, um, the draws or the basins, the peaks, the certain areas where they would move. Where And I also looked where on the ground where, okay, where have they tore it up so bad they're going to go move somewhere else and start feeding? Um, and so I just kind of followed that, looked around that way. The way the island is made is that it's pretty flat where the town is, which is just one little corner of the island. And then it goes and you go start going straight up mountains. So the highest elevation is 1,500 feet, but it's sea level to 1,500 feet. And these are like straight up rock. It's, it's basically Southeast Alaska or any of those places but there are no trees. There's just the alders everywhere, but it's straight mm-hmm. up, straight down. So I looked for where the buffalo could actually move um, and saw followed their trails, which I was surprised how steep of ground they were going up and down. I mean, literally, one place I went up to go follow them, I had to put my um, micro spikes on and pretty much was crawling up the side of this mountain. They would go up such steep, terrain i've never thought a giant buffalo would be able to do that hmm. um but so it helped me really get an idea how they moved around the islands and their patterns and they don't change they really don't change those patterns because even in the summer the way the weather is you just don't you're just not getting snow but you're getting all the exact same other type of weather as you are in the winter between summer and winter or maybe it stayed consistent what type of herd numbers were you seeing? Um, are they pretty congregated? Anywhere from like 10 to 30 together. Um, <clears throat> in the summer, I would see more lone bulls just wandering around out there. But in the, in the winter or in the winter and in the fall before I went home, uh, you would see the congregation of all the cows and the calves and then the younger bulls hanging out. But in the winter, they all came together. So the bulls even would join. The big bulls would even join up with the uh, with the cows and the younger bulls and the calves. So how, uh, you mentioned before, kind of, there's essentially two different hunts within this. Uh, that was your season. The first one, not successful. That's why you uh, went back. But what are some kind of stories or highlights or aspects of that first hunt that would be great to talk about? So 
one thing I had to do is I had, um, <clears throat> I was carrying a 5,500 pack because I had rain gear. I had everything in that pack because the weather could change. That pack was loaded. So I was running about a 45, 50 pound pack with food, water, and the rifle every day. Um, so I had to ride the ATV to get to where the hunting started. And the weather, the first hunt I got there, beautiful, super cold weather, excited. Ah, this was going to be a great hunt. I was able to get the ATV to the top of the, uh, called Danger Hill. That's just the very first thing you have to go up, which there's a story from the second hunt that I know why you call it Danger Hill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they get to the top. And so I was up there. It was beautiful. Uh, 17 degrees high winds um freezing cold but i liked it because you could just walk right on top of the snow the all the swamps the bogs everything were frozen the muskeg so it was easy to walk on um on the first time the first day i went up i was just oh i'm just going to go scouting well i learned a lesson there <clears throat> always make sure you have your central gear with you which i didn't have a my um my headlamp with me, which I realized at the end of the day. <clears throat> but on what I had done is I borrowed a rifle holder that you put on ATVs. But my rifle, which was a it was an old uh, Weatherby uh, Vanguard, it was my friend's I bought from him years ago. His father passed away and never been used. Beautiful rifle. I put a muzzle brake on. It was a three hundred Win Mag. And I put a uh, Oryx um, from MDT stock on it, which was another lesson. It's more of a target stock than a hunting stock, but it was very comfortable. Um, so it made the rifle heavy. It's about 10 pounds. Um, and it made it long. But um, the, it shot like a champ. It was a tack driver. Beautiful rifle. Great, great gun. But I pushed, put it in this holder which was my first mistake because it didn't fit quite right. And then with the beating of going up these trails, because you have to go high speed, you have to be leaning forward to get up these, these hills, mountains, so you're pretty much bouncing off rocks. It got banged up, really banged up. And then I got dropped, and then it caught up older. So I'm looking at that, and I said, okay, it's in this case, it should be fine. I get, to the, I get up there, I'm hunting around, and uh, I find... I don't find anything at first, but uh, I follow these. Um, I follow some buffalo trails, and with the wind, and you never know if they're fresh tracks or not because the tracks fill in so quickly. So I went up and I saw one track off to my left, and and I had this isn't even very far from town. This is going up Danger Hill and down this first dip, which is really close, which I was really excited starting to see buffalo sign because you usually don't see buffalo sign in there. But I figured after everything happened, I realized that because of the weather, the way the weather was coming, they were going down in this draw, this deep draw, because it gave them so much protection and there was good feed down there. So, I, okay, this is a good place. And there was about 10 of them, 15 of them. But I saw one track, so I decided to follow that one track. And as I came over the, creeped over the side, because the track started, I started seeing more tracks. I looked down, and there was a herd of uh, uh, buffalo 
or bison buffalo down down in the straw. So I was excited because I now I'm close. It's my first day. There's um, there's buffalo down there, and um, I I was going to try to make a play on them. Um, so th- that was that was a great first find. Now was how do I get down there? How do I uh, crawl in there to get close to them? Uh, super steep, sharp angle with um, with a lot of alders blocking my, if I wanted to go prone, blocking my shot. So I had to do a lot of moving and low crawling to get to a place where I could shoot them. Now I did, because I learned about them from one of your podcasts, buy some uh, uh, quick sticks, mm. uh, a quick stick holder, which I won't, I don't, I don't need a bipod anymore. Uh, cause on the second hunt, I actually bought the other adapter, but those quick sticks with my trekking poles, you just clip them to get those things were amazing. Um, I could set up any type of shooting position, any angle. I loved them. So anyway, um, I get down there with them and I just can't get a shot. So I said, okay, they don't know I'm here. I'm just going to lay in the snow and watch them. And I did, I had my, um, my puffy pants on. I had a nice jacket just laying in the snow. So I was comfortable. Um, so I decided to move out of there and see if I could get a, go work around and get a good, different angle, better, um, a better shot. And they were very comfortable down there. So I wasn't worried about them moving out at night. Uh, it was getting in the afternoon. I wasn't them going or as long as they didn't know I was there. I figured they'd stay there all day, all night into the next day um well the next uh so i hiked back out of that ravine went around i was getting hot so i took my pants off my puffy pants off and my jacket because i was getting hot because i hiked all the way back down around and went up, up another bluff to come from a different angle and as i was doing that i suddenly saw a giant bull coming out of this ravine i'm like that's not the same herd and so i just jumped laid flat in the ground they don't have the best eyesight but they have excellent hearing and they have excellent smell so i just went flat in the ground the nice thing about the island there aren't thermals it's either a west wind north wind south wind or east wind and when it's blowing you you're pretty much good as long as you're working the wind you don't have to worry about the day getting hot and the thermal's going up and it's getting cold and the thermal's going down. So all our prevailing winds depend on what direction, what weather system's coming in. So that makes it really nice. Um, so I just flat laid in the snow and the thing was huge. So I was, got my rifle out, got it all set up. He's standing up, but he's always facing away from me. And then suddenly here comes 10 more uh, buffalo and then some calves and they're just like all coming out and they're the bull was like 200 yards away from me but everything else was within 100 to 50 yards of me and i'm sitting there but i have to i have to stay flat in the ground i got my rifle up pointed at the big bull but everything else is coming from my side and i can't i can't take a shot i can't move because they're kind of all looking around and these calves are coming these little calves are starting to come up close so i'm kind of just pinned in the ground, but I don't have it in the snow, but I don't have my, my puffy gear on anymore. And so I'm laying there for about an hour, hour and a half to two hours because they're just feeding around me. 
they could care less. Um, but I had no shot at anything and I was waiting and waiting. And then it started, the sun started going down. I'm like, well, then I realized I don't have my, um, my headlamp. And I'm like, I can't, I'm not going to shoot something and be out here in the dark. And so I figured they don't know I'm here. They came over the hill. If this is where their bedding area is, they're probably going to go back up the hill the next morning. Well, I just laid there in the snow until they kind of moved away from me a little bit. They were about a hundred yards, 50 to hundred yards away from me, all the calves and the cows and, and that giant bull, that thing was huge. I was, it was the most, one of the most overwhelming things I've ever seen because seeing a giant Buffalo right in front of you like that. And even at 200 yards, cause he was farther away from them. It just seemed, it filled up the whole scope. It just filled everything up even yeah. without scope. It looked massive. And so I felt a little overwhelmed, like, Oh gosh, what am I going to do? But at least I'm close. So I low crawled out of there, frozen, <laughs> low crawled out of there, got back up to my bike. They, they bedded down. I was away from them and rode out of there that night. So I was really excited. I have two groups of Buffalo in these two areas. And now I can get there before the sun comes up because they don't like to move at night because their eyesight's so bad. So they'll just bed down and stay there all night. So I figured it doesn't get light till nine o'clock in the morning or no. Yeah. About nine 30 in the morning at that time, get up here on the bike or on the ATV. So many terms I use up there, ATV in the morning and set up. And so when they come out, I can ambush them and they come by me because I know which way they're going. I know where they're, so I, I'll be able to ambush them. Get there the next morning. Another lesson learned. Make sure you give yourself extra time to start your ATV. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was an older ATV. Equipment takes abuse up there. And it just wouldn't start. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I got it started. I got up there 10 minutes after the sun come, came up. And as soon as I crest the top, I see them. And they're already walking away. Get my rangefinder. They're already 300 yards away from me. I'm like, oh my gosh, the big herd. And I run up there. I lay down, get my pack, everything set up. I'm good prone position. And they're just walking straight away from me, right back up over the top of the mountain. And once you go over the top, it's there's, there's no chance of catching them because it's amazing how they can move through the alders. They can move through the deep snow. It's amazing how fast they move, even when it doesn't look like they're moving fast. But I decided anyway, okay, I'm going to chase them. So they started going up. I hiked up all the way to the top of the mountains, and it was brutally cold. There was like 40-mile-an-hour winds. It was 17 degrees. It was just brutal up there on top of the mountain. And they disappeared, and I'm like, okay, they're gone. I decided to go back to see if the other herd was down there. The other herd was, but it was in an area they had moved more into a protected area, same ravine, but they were more protected. And I tried different ways to get down to them, but I couldn't. I figured, okay, I'll go look somewhere else for bison today because this group is staying in this ravine. I can't get to them right now, but the pattern that they're moving, I figured by the next day, they'll be in this open area where I can I can get them. This is only day two of the hunt. I can, and I 
remember I had my rifle took a beating the day before and I hadn't gone down and checked my zero to see if it was okay. So I'm all happy and confident that everything's dialed in. Cause when I landed the landed there on Sam point, I ran right out to the uh, rock quarry, the range sat down at 200 yards. Cause I wanted to do a, you know, a position where I had a, from my previous life and experience, I wanted to do an improvised position quickly and just take a cold bore shot, see where my rifle was hitting. Cause that's the type of shot most likely that I have to be taking. I wouldn't be able to sit there on a rest, shot the rifle, boom, zeroed in first day I got to the Island. I was happy. It was confident. The rifle was shooting well. And, uh, but I hadn't shot it after it got dropped. It went through all the crap, the brush, everything else. So we're day two. I know with the Buffalo, I went and looked for some other Buffalo, some other areas, scouted some areas out. The next morning, I was going to make a play on those Buffalo in the ravine. So this is day three. I go, start moving around, come over the, this little crest, and they're down the ravine, but they've moved up to the head of the ravine. And it's almost like a basin, but it's real steep. So I, I call it a ravine, and it's back up against these mountains. So I come down, I see them, and there's a nice bull sitting there. And so I low crawl in, get up a nice position set up, sit there and wait until he stands up and moves into a good position. When he stands up, he quarters slightly away from me. So it's just a beautiful shot. Um, I'm all comfortable taking my time. I've got my pack, got my quick sticks, got a nice shooting position, perfect prone. I pull the trigger. And he kind of wiggles and looks around. And I go, was that an explosion I just saw by his feet? Like the ground exploded? And the other buffalo look around. And they're like, what the heck was that? I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, goodness. I just missed. I had to have missed. Because he is not jump. He didn't do anything. And he kind of walks away to the other bison. And I'm like, i got to be kidding. And he took three steps and he was behind the alders. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just missed. And so they go down into the deepest part of the ravine. I'm like, I just blew my opportunity. <laughs> and they pop up the other side. And now they're on the, the ridge, or not the ridge, but the face of these big ridges. So they're about 400 yards away from me. So I creep, I go down there, set up another position because they could care less. They, they heard this pop and being such big ground and area that boom didn't even phase them. Cause I have a muzzle break on my, uh, 300 wind mag, um, a full muzzle break and it didn't even phase them. They could have cared less that I shot. They went up to their side to start feeding. I went down, got into a sitting, not another perfect position. I'm like, this isn't right. Rearranged them, you know, checking my range. Okay. I'm on them. Fired again. Boom. You gotta be kidding me. I missed again. And they, they looked again, like what the heck's going on here? <laughs> it's like a, it's almost like there's a fly around us. This, this is getting annoying. So they moved a little bit more and I said, okay, something's not right here. Maybe I'm, I'm looking wrong. I had a Boone and Crockett 
VX5 had the hash marks on there. And I had it all dialed in for those hash marks where if you dialed in and you zoom into the full magnification, you can you can use those hash marks because I didn't my um, CDS turret hadn't come in time for my rifle. So I was using those, but it was all dialed in. Um, so when you say Boone and Crockett, is that a is that the reticle in the VX five? Yes, that you had? yeah, the Boone and Crockett okay. reticle. So it's like a BDC your... type. Yep. Okay. Yep. So and I'm comfortable using. I love using those. I have on another rifle, and I if I, I was so confident the round I was using was an excellent round. Um, I was so I <laughs> shot one more time, and I saw the dirt but It was close, and so that this time the the bull. And I was staying on this one bull, jumped. I go, that wasn't that something's not right here. And they decided to run up over this giant ridge. I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta go now see if I hit the thing. I'm like, I, this is this isn't right. This is something is wrong here. I don't miss. I'm not trying to I don't miss. <laughs> yeah, I mean you you if you've shot you know when you've broke a good shot or not, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you know the stability, you know the position you're in, you know your um, you know, your trigger squeeze and all the consistency and position. It was like and so I threw on my microscope. Well, first I had a I don't know how these buffalo move through the these alders because I ended up having to low crawl through these alders following their trail. I mean, I was literally on these trail and eight, the 10 giant buffalo went through these alders like it was an open trail. And I literally had, and I took GoPro video of it. I was literally low crawling and going through the swamps and everything, trying to get through these alders to get to the other side so I could hike up the face of this ridge. Um I had to put my micro spikes on because it was so steep and so slippery with the grass and the snow. So I climbed up all the way to the top, got to the top and looked over and it's a huge basin, beautiful basin. Well, I see a bunch of bison sitting on this other side. They're just feeding. And then I see the ones I was going after and they're just feeding away. I could tell nothing had been hit. Nothing was injured. They were just enjoying their day, feeding away from me. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I got to go figure out what's going on. So I went back to, uh, I hiked all the way back, got to back to the ATV, rode back into town and uh, grabbed um, target stands, went out there, sat down at 200 yards, or I got prone, got everything set up at 200 yards, pulled the trigger. And at the very bottom, four feet down on the target stand in the very bottom corner, I hit the post. I got it. You got to be kidding me. Holy. I mean, that's like, that's a massive shift. <laughs> yes. I was like, what happened here? And so I went into 50 yards, got it back on paper, started working my way back. And I'm like, I can't trust the rifle anymore. Luckily last year I had left, I had this 30 odd six I could use up there and it was zeroed in. So I grabbed it from the, um, from from my friends, ran up there, shot it. It was still completely zeroed in. I had the rounds for the other rounds were still there. It was just had been left in the case. No one had touched it. I go, okay, I got a rifle to use, but that it kind of rattled me a little bit. It's like, oh. 
um, cause all my perfect planning and everything else had gone out the door, which yeah. is probably normally on anything after 30 seconds, all plans are useless. Um, so I went out there and the next day the weather moved in and everything had gone away. So for the next up until the last day, so this, that was day three up until day seven. So the next four days. I'm not seeing anything. And the weather is awful. Pouring down rain, super high winds with a mix of sleet and hail in it. High wind. It was just awful. But I went out every day and I was like, I'm not even going to camp out here. It's just, it's just rivers running through. The mud was so thick. And I just hiked and walked every day out there looking for it. And on the last day, I went to this place called Simeon's Bite, which was on the other side of the island. I parked the ATV, I got off and I hiked. And I hiked about two miles and went down towards Simeon's Bite and I see a herd of 20 buffalo. And I started moving in. I started looking at the terrain. I'm going, it was noon when I got to him. I'm going, there's no way. I have got to be on a plane tomorrow because I had to be back home. I had to be home for a specific family engagement and there was no way. And with the weather, I gave myself one extra day in case the plane couldn't make it and get me out. He said, I got to get on that plane tomorrow. And I sat there and I decided, you know what? I'm just going to watch him eat my lunch and enjoy the beautiful view. Cause it was a beautiful day. The weather cleared. It was a perfect day to be out there. But on this end, there was no way I was going to try to shoot something with only 24 hours to get that thing out of there. So that kind of ended that hunt. <laughs> yeah. Do you, with the whole rifle mishap, does that make you question any of that setup? Or do you feel like the, the conditions and the exposure of what you put that through was pretty unique in terms of like, oh, I'm, I'm happy to hunt with this rifle again the way it is because in general, in the future, it's not going to have like this rough four-wheeler ride or this type of thing, or do you kind of have any reservations? No, because I use that rifle the next time. Um, so I figure it was the way that case was made. I um, thought 100%, because as soon as that, as soon as I got back and I saw the rifle was off zero, I immediately said, okay, the rifle will never be off my backpack. It will. I'll never do what these guys recommended to do out there. Take it when you're on the ATVs. This rifle will stay on my back and never go in a case like that. So on the with the thirty out six, I just left. I put it because I got one of those um, rifle holders from you guys, mm-hmm. and I, I kept the rifle in there the whole time, which was awesome. And so, um, and when I put the rifle back, really looked, examined how that rifle was. Um, because before, after the first day going up to when it got really beat up the rifle and in the case, that's when I stopped carrying it in the case. I put it on my pack. I said, this is, this is destroying the rifle. It's destroying everything. And I don't care what kind of rifle, what kind of setup you had, the way it was in, it would have knocked the scope off. It would have done, it would have just tweaked the thing so bad that. It, it would have de- damaged any rifle. So, um, so I decided, uh, the setup though, I would say I would not use that 
uh, chassis again. It's too big. Mm. It's not, it's just way too big. It's a, it's more of a target shooting chassis. I th- when I realized it after I got, it was like, no, this is for target shooting, sports shooting. It's, it's really nice chassis, but it's not meant for backcountry or hunt any type of hunting unless you're sitting in a car and you go to a stand and you do that. So anyway, um, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about the equipment and the quality of the equipment or if it failed. My, my concern was as how I would carried it up the mountain and how it was packaged to get up the mountain. So, um, yeah, I was kicking myself, but when I missed, I, I still wasn't thinking it was a right. At first I go, okay, there's three things, me, range finder or rifle scope. Some, one of those three things is messed up. So I had a spare range finder with me, checked them and they both were exactly on. Okay. It's not the range finder. Um, and then when I shot, I was going, well, it's not me. It's the scope or it's the rifle. So, uh, yeah, but when I was out in the field, I was like, okay, it's, I must just have lost my mind and can't hit a target anymore, or it's the rangefinder of the rifle. So I, I knew it was one of those three things that was screwing up when I, when I missed, uh, the first time up there. Yeah. So, but, um, but the, yeah, after that, it was it, everything. I was completely soaked every day. Even my Gore-Tex worked out amazing, but, uh, I, sometimes I had to set up little shelters up on the mountain cause it was blowing and raining so hard. I'd have to get behind rocks and set up a tarp over me and set up a little shelter and weather out the storm. Um, and, but, and the fog and everything, you just couldn't see anything. It was just, but I, I had a certain amount of days to hunt and I was not going to get off that mountain because if I wasn't up there, th- I might miss an opportunity to shoot something. Something could stumble out, walk in front of me but I wasn't going to just hunker down in town or, and wait for the storm. I was just going to hunker up there. I made sure to bring a pack enough stuff on the ATV that if I had to set up a permanent camp for a day or two, I could with, you know, uh, tents and tarps and stuff like that. The opportunity to use a boat that never, because the weather was so bad, the guys weren't going to take their boats out to go Buffalo or drop anybody off. And, even if you live there, you're always kind of an outsider, even if you've worked there, unless you're somebody that is from there and, or been there for years. So you kind of, you know, wonderful people, but the potential to come help is not a hundred percent reliable. Right. Right. <laughs> So, um, so anyway, uh, and hunting a lot of times in Alaska is a little different for people. If you can't drive there, use a sled to get there or fly there or take a boat and get it close to it. A lot of times you're not going to hunt it for, for people that live up there because for them, it's, they have all this time to do it so they can wait to the perfect moment to use one of those pieces of equipment to get there thrown on trekking poles and gators and a pack and hiking up back deep into the back of the island is not something they want to do. So anyway, uh, that ended that hunt. I had to fly out 
uh, I felt like a complete failure. I was just like, I can't believe I didn't because that meat goes to a lot of the elders too up there. Um, so it goes to a lot of people. It's, you know, I was, uh, I let, I feel like I let a friend down. Um, and, uh, I was just like, it was an amazing hunt, but because of not being diligent and making sure my equipment was functioning after knowing it got beat up, I missed an easy shot in an easy location where it could have been. And at the beginning of the hunt where I could have potentially got, been able to go get somebody else's Buffalo. So I just felt, uh, yeah, I was just beat down, but I, um, wasn't discouraged about continuing this hunt. <laughs> mm -hmm. In the second hunt, uh, from a big picture. And again, I don't know all the details, but I know that there was some eventual success, but then also some, some mishap, some injury, which yes. comes first in the second hunt. The injuries come first. Okay. So actually two injuries, but the a main injury came first. Uh, both of them came first. So my, my amazing, wonderful wife said I could go back up in two weeks uh, and continue this <laughs> uh, um, hunt. She probably so, said it while shaking her head if she's anything like my wife. Like, yes. You can go, but you're an idiot. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, I did get her Shen Yun tickets, which is a, a dance group that he likes to go see. It's a Chinese dance group. And so uh -huh. we got that. So when I got home, we got to go see that show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I flew up uh, on uh, February 15th, right day after uh, Valentine's Day. Um, and, uh, got in there and the weather was awful. It, it, it was like the continuation of what I left, but it was even worse. Nobody was getting out, no boats. And now I had a potential use of a boat, um, but you, you couldn't get the boats out. Um, and so for the first five days, I couldn't even get up on the mountain. I had to, I was digging, I was getting stuck, but I just kept pushing and I would just, so I finally just parked the ATV and I just hiked up over the mountain to try to find them. Didn't see anything for the first five days on the, um, six days. So it had been three days before I shot my bison. I had a, the danger mountain had opened up and I was going up danger mountain. I had my same rifle back. I, I put a hundred rounds through that thing. I got the scope all redone. Leopold said, because I called them, the, the scope is going to be fine. I went through it. I should put a hundred rounds through it. The thing was driving tax again. Well, I kept that thing on my, it never left my back. <laughs> it was always with me. So jump forward. The rifle's doing well. I blasting up uh, danger mountain or danger hill on the ATV. And I hit a rock. And when you go up there, you pretty much have one foot on the seat, one on the peg. You're leaning forward and you're at full throttle to try to get up this, this steep grade. So it's basically doing a hill climb that you see on some of those shows, but with a 40-pound pack on, a bunch of gear on your bike, going through these deep gullies with 
alders all around you. I hit a rock and bounced up <clears throat> and my foot went under the ATV rear wheel and just felt like it just snapped. So I got it stopped really quick, hopped off. I was wearing these Loa Tibet boots, which are really heavy duty leather boots. I love them. Um, and I jumped off and I moved my ankle around going, okay, it hurts like a son of a gun, but I can move it. So I don't think I was a medic in the army. I, and during law enforcement, I've been through stop the bleeds, combat medic training for our, our team that I was on, on our state patrol team. And so I was very confident in my diagnosis of my ankle that there was no structural broken bone or anything in there. Cause I could walk on it and that, the structural ligaments and tendons were still intact. <laughs> um, so I said, the boots tight. It feels good. I'm just going to keep going. Got up to the top. Couldn't go any farther. So I decided to hike, did some hiking, got back to the off the mountain that day and realized that my ankle was about the size of a, um, size of a softball. But I decided I was just going to keep going. Cause I'm, I'm not going to give up until the end. I could walk on it. It hurt like a son of a gun, but I was going to keep going. Strapped it down, super tight in the boot. Iced it every night. Um, decided I was just going to go back into town or to the little place I was staying every night instead of staying up there so I could tend to the ankle. Um, so weather just kept crappy, lousy weather. I decided to go the other way. I was going back on this thing called the back trail and everything was kind of frozen, but thawing. And I hit a puddle or a small little pond because it looked completely frozen, broke through the ATV, turned sharply to the right. And I felt, I thought I tore my bicep off, <laughs> um, but I could squeeze my trigger finger. I could move my arm and realize that the arm was functioning, but hurt like it. So realize I, I think I tore it a couple pendants in there. Shh, won't tell my wife that though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, said I can, I'm just going to finish this hunt. I'm going to continue the hunt. Well, wasn't finding anything for the first part of the hunt. I decided I got the ATV back. I could never get the ATV all the way back. So I had to start hiking. So I decided I was going to go up over the top of the ridges and look and see if I could find anything. I was seeing bison trail. And you have to understand, it's a volcanic island. So there's you think you can go straight, and it looks like you can. But then you come to this massive ravine. So you have to circle around. And if you go into a draw, then you're into chest-deep snow, where you may have been walking on muskeg and dirt just prior to that. Or you end up in alders, where you have to low crawl through the alders. But it, it just looks perfectly smooth and flat to walk on but it's all these hidden. So you may go one way, have to circle all the way back around and all my onyx and my inReach, I was looking at my tracks, something that looked like it was about a mile would take me three miles to get to where I needed to go. So it was a lot of backtracking, climbing up these steep grades, going through deep, deep snow um, and just took so much longer to get anywhere I wanted to go on foot. Um, but I eventually got to the top of these ridges, sat there, 
had a little lunch, got my jet boil set up, enjoying the view. And I look over this place, which is on the other side of the island, called Simeon's Bite and Red Cove. And I start seeing bison coming out. And so they were feeding around there. And just like the other place, the winds were coming from a different direction. So they were just very comfortable. They had a good protection. They weren't going anywhere. I was like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go after them. So I hiked out of there, um, immediately went to the, because it was getting later in the evening. So seven o'clock at night would get late. It was kind of weird. Nine o'clock to 930, it would get light. Seven o'clock, it would get dark. So it was that adjusted farther back towards the end of the day up there. The way the, how the sun works is interesting. But I went back, went to the quarry, got up the target stand, set up all my gear, sat down in a seated position at 200 yards, pulled the trigger, blew out the bullseye. I go, that means I'm supposed to go kill a buffalo tomorrow. <laughs> Everything's working perfectly fine. I'm going to go kill a buffalo. So I rode my ATV out there, beautiful sunny weather, gorgeous day. I'm thinking this is it. I can't get down this one big ravine because the snow, it was still frozen, but I was by myself and I'm thinking, nope, I'll hike down it, hike to the other side and go find them. And I'm looking at where they're at on my Onyx. I'm looking at, okay, that's only a mile and three quarters to where they're at. That shouldn't be too bad because I'm looking around there and there's no, <clears throat> there's no snow on the hip, up on the top part. But again, like if you look in the ravines where it all blows down into, then it becomes this giant quagmire of deep snow and hidden streams and swamps. So I parked the ATV up on top of the hill, go down this ravine. It's still frozen. So I'm, just slightly post-tolling, going, okay, this isn't too bad. Get across, jump across the stream, go up the other side. Now I'm in, there's no snow. It's just muskeg. The mud is frozen. Everything's frozen. Okay, this is perfect. Hike out. I start seeing them. Um, and then I realized which way the wind's coming. And there are no trees on this island. The alders aren't in this area. So it's just, it's like a, a moonscape. It's just flat. Uh, well, there's lots of hills, but it's <clears throat> there's no really uh, concealment from trees or anything. So I just worked my way all the way around because I want to make sure the wind's in the right direction. <clears throat> get up, see them. They're still about 460 yards away, and I want to get in nice and close to them and shoot them because uh, I got to identify the right bull. It has to be a bull. It can't be a cow. Um, and a big cow will look like a young bull. So you have to be real careful of what you're, you want to get in close enough. Um, and I didn't bring a spy. I had my binoculars um, to make sure you're shooting a, a bull, not a cow. Uh, so I come around and I have to go down in a ravine and low craw. And uh, so this time when I came back, I had bought the little attachment on the quick sticks to lock the um, trekking poles to your rifle. Mm -hmm. So now it's actually like a bipod. That thing is slick. That is so cool. Um, so I drop my pack. I drop everything. I low crawl into 
262 yards, which is it's beautiful. I find this little rock outcropping, which has a, a little U-shape cutout. So I can use that as my little sniper hide and drop my rifle over the front, use those, the quick sticks as my bipod, which was super stable. And you can cant the rifle left or right on it. So you can get level and long, and you can change them to a 45 degree angle. They don't have to be straight up and down. You can push them out to 40, which makes it such a stable platform. Got in there. There's two bulls looking at each other. Um, and um, just not a care in the world. There's about 20 buffalo there, cows, other big bulls. But these two were just perfect, nice hill backstop. Sat there. I said, okay. Sun was shining on me. It was just a perfect day. I'm not laying in the snow. I'm laying on comfortable, mossy, muskeg stuff. And um, got them in my crosshairs. And he was slightly quartering towards me. <clears throat> shot him uh he jumped went about 30 yards a bunch of blood came out of his nose and mouth and he just dropped to the ground the other buffalo just kind of wandered off didn't he and i just laid there i didn't move didn't do anything and just laid there and just (laughs) was overwhelmed that um i didn't want to scare the other buffalo either so I just laid there until they wandered over the side. They stopped and looked back to see if he was coming, but then realized he wasn't. So they just moved mosey on over. And um, yeah, it was really overwhelming when he hit the ground that fast. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> so uh, I just uh, slowly walked up to him, you know, just took my time getting over there. And that was about, that was, let's see what time I shoot. 1150 uh, is when I pulled the trigger and he went down. And uh, yeah, surreal. I got to say one thing though. As soon as that buffalo hit the ground, the eagles started coming from everywhere. There are so many bald eagles up there. They started coming from everywhere. They knew that buffalo was dead. Mm-hmm. And so I had to battle the bald eagles. <laughs> the whole time i felt like it was like alfred hitchcock's the birds but um were they actually like swooping down and stuff they were swooping down they were hopping towards me i have pictures of four of them just standing right next to me saying we want that buffalo i was like you got to be kidding me it was it was crazy they were all around me and those Mm. are big birds yeah they are (laughs) um so i you know, it was weird because I didn't jump up. I didn't get, I was just overwhelmed that <clears throat> I had accomplished this against, you know, just beating the crap out of myself and uh, just getting out there. And then when I got up to it, it hit me. And people said they were going to come help me get it out of here. Um, it hit me. I was like, oh no, I got this monster. <laughs> and uh i pretty much destroyed myself so i used a it was interesting i used a burger bullet it was the uh hybrid 185 Uh grain um and that sucker went right through him uh blew out both his lungs and his heart just went it destroyed him it it didn't even slow down at 262 yards i was like oh wow uh but uh yeah he 
30 yards, boom, fell in a bad angle. He was kind of like he was sitting there laying like, and if you saw the picture, that's kind of the angle he was at. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so now I knew I had a lot of work to do. Um, so when you say people come in to help, what was, did you have from the field? Did you have any sort of communication capability? Yes, I did. Um, I didn't figure anybody would help that come that day because mm-hmm. just it was too late in the day. I could, I brought a huge tarp that was all brand new one that was between the, on the meat carrier for the pack that I just left in there mm-hmm. because I wasn't worried about predators, but I was worried about the birds. So my thing was, was to get as much, get it process as much as I could that day, take a load out with me, cover the whole thing up with the tarp, lay rocks all the way around it. So nothing, cause they can't see it or can't easily get to it. They're not going to, tear it apart so and then and then the next day have some buddy come with me back out to finish the processing and uh get the rest of the meat out so um yeah i i just got up where i sent a message you know i sent a message a buffalo down maybe delayed da 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 and so people knew okay he's okay um, cause guys would check on me when I got late and they're like, Hey, cause it's not unusual. People have to be airlifted out of there <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or rescued. <laughs> I'm like, I'm okay. Um, so anyway, uh, I just started processing it. The problem was I, I could get front quarter came off, you know, I could get that off the rear quarters, the way it was, I pretty much had to debone it off the animal because I could not get the animal turned over. I could not lift it up. So I was just deboning the meat off the animal. Mm-hmm. The, the back straps, both of them combined, those were 60 pounds. Jeez. Yes. Holy <laughs> so cow. I, I took the back straps, nice tender. I took the nice meat out of there that night and put it in the backpack. So that was just that alone. And that backpack was just so much weight. Um, and then just all this meat I peeled off, put it in the backpack and, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I processed as much as I could that day. I covered it up. I hiked out of there and that was, and it, the weather moved in right after I got done covering it up, snow, wind, and carrying that heavy pack through the muskeg and the mud and, the, everything started thawing out too so now i'm post tolling and i'm going i'm not walking on top of the snow and i'm going through the steep stuff and it's just got it just got brutal on the way out and right before i got to the bike the atv i had about a hundred yard climb to get back to the top and it i just sat there because i had post told up to my waist and said just please help me get up to the top of this i was about ready to jump, dump the meat and the sun, the moon came out and I climbed that final hundred yards up this steep ravine and got to my bike or ATV and rode out. Of there. And then I got stuck in that and in the mud and finally made it all the way out. Got back about 11 o'clock at night with just the first load. And, uh, I was just beat. Unfortunately, the next day 
guys came to help me, but we got stuck in that ravine. It took us four hours just to get back out of there. We couldn't even get to the meat because of the weather got so bad. But luckily I had put laid it on rocks, built rocks so it was could stay cool underneath. The next day I went back out there and I had to go by myself. So I brought a sled, one of those long blue toboggan sleds that kids ride on. And I had my pack, got as close as I could to the ATV above the ravine, hiked through the ravine, which was frozen now, but not good enough for a ATV. Took me 40 minutes to get out to the Buffalo from this location because it was a mile and three quarters from it. Um, loaded up that sled with a bunch of quarters, uh, loaded up my pack and drug the sled back. Over, I have a video that's just brutal <laughs> over the rocks. So it took me almost four hours to go from the Buffalo to the ATV. And it took me 40 minutes to hike out there. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, was, I looked at my speed. It was point five miles an hour coming back and it, it it was but there was and i had to get as much meat out as i could um i got a pallet about a pallet a load of meat out of there um but there was still some meat that was left on there that i couldn't and i couldn't get the head out and the weather started going down and i had to get you know make sure i could get on a plane out of there and so it took me four days to get the meat out that I, I four got days out. of packing. Yeah. Um, and three days of actually being able to pack one day of trying to rescue ourselves from being stuck <laughs> in Man. this ravine with our ATVs. And because it, it took four hours, about four hours to go a hundred yards up this ravine to get our ATVs out. Cause the winch broke this bro. It just was just awful. Everything breaks up there because it's the conditions are so brutal mm -hmm. um but got meat back and uh and then the weather just moved in the snow <clears throat> everything uh so it was it was an experience that sounds crazy what's what are we've talked before about you know getting meat back from alaska commercially with alaska airlines mm -hmm. but it's never also been this quantity of meat nor something as you know difficult as a, a more remote aleutian island so what just logistically what what is ahead of you or what's still in process <laughs> i don't even know because i know that you know sometimes guys will have stuff processed up there and shipped back to later but what truly getting it to your freezer what has that been like luckily i have a friend who has connections up there so shipping is not an issue getting it down it'll just come on coastal probably or it'll be flown from ace ace to alaska and then flown down he, he's still waiting to get all the meat back from the processor up there um because most of the meat will stay up there with the the tribe um but uh if i so if i had more time and everything didn't collapse uh i would have taken i could i would have i had two huge duffel bags i would have frozen the meat if he wasn't going to send it out to a processor i would have froze it because i could borrow somebody's huge freezers broke it down as much as i could froze it put it in giant duffel bags and then uh ship it on uh raven to anchorage with me it just put it on as check-in bags mm -hmm. um and it's not that expensive but for me to fly from seattle to alaska it's like taking a bus 
there's a flight that goes every hour. So it right. takes me 15 minutes to get to the airport. So that's getting to Anchorage. No big deal. Um, I brought tons of fish back. Um, I brought other meat back. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's just making sure that I keep each bag at a certain weight limit, 50 pounds. Um, and you, when you're flying off the island, you look at what's cheaper, the weight of an oversized bag or the amount of bags you want to bring off. So, um, uh, so I, I understood the logistics about, and I had the stuff to bring it back on, you know, like your friends who went to ADAC Island, um, shipping up a, a tote with all your gear in it or not shipping, but putting it on the airplane. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't count as an oversized load is great because when you come back, now you have two big totes to load all your meat in. And if you've got Alaskan airline miles, if you're coming from Alaska, you know, you got, you get two free check bags. So, um, and if you shove things in and do it right, you can bring a lot of stuff back and move it back and forth without having really to pay much to do it than actually shipping it through a shipper. And Alaska Airlines shipping it through them as a cargo is not that expensive either. So yeah, we, uh, I'm, I have to actually get a hold of them this week to see because they were letting it uh, age for a while in Anchorage. Um, so they immediately froze it when we got back to Sandpoint, which is the little town. And then they were going to, when it got to the book, they were going to age it. And then they were going to process it, <clears throat> ship it back to my friend on in Sandpoint. And then he would ship it down to me. Wow. What a wild hunt, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Obviously, you had some exposure to this opportunity. So I'm not sure what your expectations were going into this hunt, but how did it match or exceed your expectations and or just kind of like any big picture takeaways now having done this experience for you personally? Um, it met every expectation of how hard it was going to be and that I knew I couldn't, I had to hunt every minute of every day because the way the weather works, you, you, you can't say, well, let's go back and maybe if, you know, let's, let's skip a day today because the weather's too bad. Well, I'd rather find a place out there in the back country to set up a shelter because you never know when the weather's going to break. And when the weather breaks, there could be Buffalo hundred yards away from you, just sitting there feeding, but you can't see him because of the weather. So it had, it met every expectation of being tough and being hard. Um, especially being out there by myself, hiking these, uh, these mountains and these draws and everything. Um, and, uh, it had, you know, and I knew, and I, I, I was prepared for the weather because I'd been out there a year and I knew the, what the weather was going to be like. Um, I think a lot of people get shocked by weather in Alaska, how brutal it can be and how suddenly it can, how fast it can change and it can take away their, um, motivation. So I knew I had to just not worry about the weather because it was going to change. It can change any minute. So I just knew I had to be out there all the time hunting, but the expectations, it met every expectation of probably one of the toughest things I ever did. Uh, I've ever done in my life. Um, and I feel, you know, one thing 
in the big picture, I don't think 57 is being old anymore because I'm 57. Well, I'm 58 now, but I felt so blessed that I'm in good enough shape to be able to go do that. Cause you hear people, Oh, my back sore. Oh, I got this. And they're only in their thirties and forties. I'm like, come on guys, don't talk like that now because when you hit your fifties, it's not going to be any better. You just have to learn how to manage the injuries or pain. Don't abuse it and don't make it so it gets worse, but understand your body. And, um, I just, I love being out in the mountains and in the woods and as long as I can do it, as long as I can keep doing hikes and rucking and carrying heavy loads, I may not kill a lot of things, but I'm going to be out there trying and out there, uh, giving it a hundred percent. Well, that is a great way to cap it. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us to share your story and the lessons that you learned. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, if you have anything for us, you can contact us by sending an email to podcast at exomountgear.com or looking for the link in the show description that says, leave us a message. We truly do appreciate your support and thank you for tuning in. If you want to make sure that you receive all future episodes automatically for free, be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll talk to you soon.